For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I, your host, Shane Told, talks to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. Oh, I wanted to get through that really quickly because I'm so excited about this episode. When I started this thing four and a half years ago, you know, you've got your dream guests. You've got the people that inspired you the most in your career. And of course, in the back of your mind, you always go, oh, wouldn't it be cool to talk to some of these people? And after 211 episodes, this is 212, it happened. Milo Ackerman of The Descendants is here today. It was an awesome chat. I loved it so much. What a legend this guy is. It's funny, we talk about his bobblehead. I've got it looking at me over here on my desk. And what's really funny is I'm not famous enough to get my own bobblehead that you can buy, you know, at a store or whatever. But I did have someone make one of those custom Funko Pop figures. And in my custom Funko Pop figure that someone made, I'm wearing a Descendants shirt because I have worn a lot of Descendants shirts on stage, in photos, etc. Because... Descendants are one of my all-time favorite bands. So this is a huge episode for me. Thank you for tuning in. I nerd out a little bit on them. I'm not going to lie. I think that's perfectly okay. I think I'm allowed. And this is such a great episode. Oh, I'm so excited. Before we get into it, I want to remind you, as always, you can always get in touch with me. Feel free to send me an email. It's Lead Singer Syndrome at gmail.com. Add me on all the social media at Shane Told. The show is at Lead Singer Syndrome or at Lead Singer Sin, S-Y-N. But, you know, just search it. It'll come right up. Make sure you check out our Facebook page as well. We're still doing things on there. Facebook, still apparently the number one social media outlet in the world. I don't know. Hey, whatever. In other news with me, my band Silverstein, we just got back from our 20-year anniversary tour. The first leg was in Europe. It was absolutely incredible. I want to thank everybody over there who saw us play. Nearly entirely sold out. And man, it's it's cool putting together this two-hour show. Man, it's it's a lot for me as a singer, but I got through it with flying colors. Only a couple little, you know, you get worried about your voice. You go, oh shit, you look at the calendar. We got five in a row in Germany without a day off, playing two hours. Can I do it? Wake up in the morning, you know, have some water, hope you're okay. And and it was really, really great. But in just 10 days, 
Yes, 10 days. We are starting the U.S. and Canadian portion of the tour. So please, if you haven't got a ticket for that yet, check it out. Silverstein20.com, Silverstein20.com, all your ticket and VIP needs. A lot of shows are already sold out and a lot of them are getting really close. So if you want to come out, don't sleep on tickets. We got a great package too. Four Year Strong will be there. I the Mighty will be there as well. And yeah, we're playing two hours. I think it's like 30 something songs. Pretty crazy. But I am super, super excited to play for y'all in America. So yes, check that out. Also, if you want to help out the show, please look into the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. If you want more content, more episodes, more interaction with me, more interaction with other fans of the show, you can join a really, really great community of about 400 people now. We get together all over the world. We have little sinner meetups as we call them. And of course, if you want Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, it's the only way to get it is to be a member of the club. And it is what keeps this thing going every week for free. Without the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club, I wouldn't be able to do it. So thank you to everybody that's already a member. Shout out to my sinners worldwide. And yeah, check it out, please. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access for as little as $6 a month. That is what gets you in and gets all the stuff that I just mentioned and more. Okay, once again, the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. And my conversation with Milo of Descendants. Milo, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's kind of an honor for me, um, and uh, really do appreciate you taking the time. Cool, glad to do it. Awesome, man. Thank you. So, kind of funny um, little tidbit off the top. My father worked for Dupont for over thirty years, actually. Oh, where is he located? In Mississauga, Ontario. Oh, okay. So I'm Canadian. I'm, I grew up uh, just outside, well, in Oakville, Ontario, just outside Toronto. And uh, yeah, he worked for over 30 years, I guess, you know, starting out in the, geez, I guess it would have been the, like the early 70s. Um, and my sister worked there. I was a summer student there for one year in the refrigerants uh, department. And um, it's just kind of a weird, you know, coincidence. Um, obviously, it's a huge company, but, you know, <laughs> not that huge. Yeah. So I'm sure they've got plenty of crazy DuPont stories. I've got my... My own crazy department. Uh, yeah, well, well, I just remember, you know, hearing about how bad, you know, the Freon was. And, you know, my dad, one of his, his jobs in the company was like, he had to go around talking about how R12, you know, wasn't that bad for the environment. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, we, we always had to, our use of, uh, you know, recombinant DNA engineering. Right. You know, which it's, you know, it's. I we could I could probably go on for hours about you know about that, but I don't work for them anymore, so I don't have to do any defense of anything. Basically, but. no, you don't. Uh, how long were you there? I was there for uh, fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's yeah, that's crazy. Um, well, anyway, um, get you know, getting getting laid off. That's the story that I've read. I mean, it, did it sour you from the the whole field from this that whole science world? <sighs> It wasn't really the act of being laid off. It was more all the BS that went on before that. I mean, I think I had about, I'd say, 10 years at DuPont where I just loved it. And then the last five were kind of lame. <laughs> and I kind of, um, you know, my, my group changed quite a bit and my, my research focus changed, you know, 
they, they, they forced me and <clears throat> they forced me to change my research focus and it wasn't really to my liking. And so by the time I, by the time I was laid off, it was, it was all, it was kind of like, thank you. You know, <laughs> thank you so much that I'm done. I'm yeah. done. So, I mean, what, what it ended up doing in the long run though, is it ended up kind of souring me towards corporate research in general. I think maybe I could, if I went back into science, I'd probably go back and do it like more of a university setting. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's like you hear about, uh, you know, whether I'm sure you compared to like Greg Graff and like all the time, you know, like things that he did, um, you know, yeah. being a sciencey guy and that, that was more the field. But I don't know. I see it both sides. You know, I, I think you can do great work, you know, in both ways. But I can understand that the corporate thing could be. I don't know. The rules, I think, are, are they're, they try to bend the rules a lot more because they're trying to make money. Yeah, and there's a whole there's a whole kind of reporting structure that that happens that you don't necessarily get at the university. So, and you no one you know you don't want to go outside of that reporting structure. Who's reporting to who? And right. and just uh, you know, all of your all of your um, decisions for your own research come from above, basically. And the people above are mainly bean counters, you know, they're, they're not yeah. scientists, they're, they're business people. Yeah. So the business people are driving the science and it's, that's what's, after a while that got to be kind of lame. Like I said, my first several years there, I kind of flew under the radar and was able to do basically, you know, my own science. It was related to the company, but, but it was something where I really had a lot more autonomy. And then when I started to lose that autonomy, it, definitely kind of graded on me totally when you were doing you know in your science career did you find your colleagues were genuinely intrigued of your other life indifferent did they think it was weird uh, it was actually really refreshing because most of the time people were really uh interested and you know excited for what i was doing and i think it's partly because you know scientists they're kind of cloistered up in the lab and you know it's to see someone doing something a little more spontaneous or, you know, creative or artistic. I think that, you know, there's, that's a, that's a side of everybody that, that needs to flourish. And once you're a scientist, if you let that kind of wither away, then, you know, that, then I can see that being kind of, you know, you kind of being downtrodden. I kind of felt like everyone was like looking at me like, yeah, go for it because, you know, get away from this, you know, the sterile environment that you're in in the lab and, and, you know, get your yayas out. And, and, and I think they really, uh, cheered, cheered me along to do it. That's awesome. That's, I'm glad that that's the answer I got because, you know, yeah. it could be the other opposite where they say, you know, oh, we're not going to take this guy seriously. Like he's some, you know, punk guy and what's this about? And I Google his name and what this, these weird songs come up, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. because, you know, bullying, we think of bullying, we think of it only happening to kids in high school or something. But it can happen in adult life, too, where people aren't taken seriously based on who they are. Yeah. Well, yeah, I probably felt some of that at some point as well. But yeah. I, I was fortunate when I started there to have a boss, to have my my boss, the guy that hired me in, um, was really uh, kind of an outside-the-box thinker himself. Right. And, and he saw what I was doing and thought, well, this guy could bring, you know, some creative oomph. <laughs> to, to, to our, you know, our scientific world here in DuPont. Um, he actually, when I, when I applied for the job and came in for the interview, he, he had, I guess, Googled me a little bit and realized that I was in the, the descendants <laughs> and said, Hey, Hey, are you guys playing around anywhere? And it turns out it, the, it wasn't the descendants who were playing around at that time. It was all, yeah. I said, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see this band. All that's the, you know, the sister band. And I'm going to get on stage and sing a few songs with them. I just kind of said it kind of off the cuff, like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. Next thing I know, I'm at the all show and he, he's in the audience. <laughs> this, this guy that's about to hire me, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, if I blow this, if I blow this on stage, he's not going to hire me. <laughs> so, that was a little extra, a little extra pressure to go up there and do it. But that was, that was the kind of guy he was. And, you know, he was just the greatest boss ever. And like I said, the last few years I was at DuPont, he had, re he had retired and it was like, I was kind of, you know, left to my, left you know, twisting in the wind at that point. Totally, totally. Um, before we get into everything that, you know, you went through and everything you're doing now, do you mind going back and just talking about some of your early life and, you know, 
what music was like for you, what it was like with your, your parents? Did you have brothers and sisters, like just growing up in California? Yeah, I mean, I spun a lot of my, a lot of my discs that were my, my, bro, my older brothers. I had two older brothers, and, and mm-hmm. my, I think between my brothers and my parents, I listened to a lot of Beatles. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, um, you know, 70s rock. And, and, and also, I was really into this guy, Tom Lehrer, who, who was not 70s rock. He's more of a, he was a piano player who wrote kind of goofy songs uh, that were more topical, you know, political or topical in nature, but really funny. And I think, you know, I listened back to some of his stuff and realized where I got some of my kind of quirky humor was from this guy, Tom Lehrer. So, yeah, right. between him and, between him and the Beatles, I, that's pretty much got me through my early years and uh, kind of went through a really, really brief prog phase and then discovered, you know, punk rock. But I really discovered punk rock via New Wave. So I was a big Devo fan yeah. and a big, uh, you know, police cars kind of fan. And, uh, you know, basically one, one, uh, one night I went to go see Devo and X opened up. Yeah. And I thought, and once I saw X, I thought, well, that's really what I need to be listening to. And that sent me on a journey to discover LA punk rock. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of been the crux of my, you know, musical existence so far. Totally. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, your personality, it, it seems like you're kind of a, well, it's, it's, it's strange a little bit because you're obviously, yeah, there's this serious nerdy science side to you, but then, you know, you're, you've got very silly lyrics at the same time. Um, and your personality must be somewhere between the two, but you know, you guys are credited with, you know, starting pop punk and, and you know, there, a lot of times it was like in punk rock and in, in those days, it was very serious and the LA scene was very nihilistic and it was, you know, it was, it was kind of angry and aggressive. And then you guys were kind of not just not taking it seriously. Like where did, where did that come from? Well, I think it was, we, it, it, for me, it was a, as a, as a, you know, as a high school student getting to the point where, uh, I spent a few years as a high school student being, you know, being really afraid of doing anything outside the norm. You know, you, you don't want to like, you want to kind of find your niche or you want to, you know, fit in. Yeah. And, and after a few years of that, I was just like, fuck it. I can't do this. <laughs> I got to let my freak, my freak flag fly. There you go. And and, and my way of doing that was, was to join the descendants essentially. And, uh, you know, part of that whole thing was, was that they were, they were so such a perfect fit. We were all such a perfect fit together because we all, we all were kind of like not into the whole fashion part of punk rock we were just more into the misfit part of it. It was all about being a misfit right. and not, and you know, kind of not, not fitting in with your peers. And that's kind of where, you know, all those songs came from. But part of that meant that we couldn't fit in with the punk rock crew either. I mean, if you're going to be a misfit, you really need to be a misfit. When things get kind of codified in punk rock, you can't, you, you, I couldn't, we couldn't relate to that either. So that's kind of <laughs> yeah. where, that's kind of where, where we ended up is that, is that we ended up, you know, wanting to write punk rock music and really, you know, play real fast, but we didn't want to, you know, kind of, you know, be a retread of whatever anyone else is doing, or just, we didn't want to just, you know, kind of, uh, be put on that, that punk attitude necessarily. We had so much spazzy nerdy energy that that pretty much was the, all the attitude that we needed to kind of put, put across the energy we wanted to. We didn't have to be, you know, kind of fuck the world or, you know, right. Reagan or anything, you know, Right, no. So that's kind of where all that came from, and then we discovered girls, and we had to throw you know girl songs in there too. <laughs> uh, are you are you a guitar player? You play guitar? Uh, yeah, uh, you know I can bash away at it basically. Right, yeah. I always wondered yeah. because you know, like like being a nerd, the nerd that I am, and you know having your records, you know as a kid and before I was playing, you know playing in bands and stuff, I would always see there'd be songs that were written by you know Bill Stevenson. He'd write the whole song, like um. Uh, I'm the one maybe I think he wrote, wrote I'm just going off my memory but like he wrote that song I'm like yeah. oh, that's really interesting that the drummer who plays drums obviously like could write a song like lyrically and, and musically and then I saw you're credited you know on like let's just take everything sucks for example like you wrote four or five of those songs like all by yourself so I always wondered yeah. like 
okay, so you had a guitar and you wrote those chords and you wrote those words and you brought them to the band? Like, how did that work? And my follow-up question is, how come you never made a solo record? Well, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you know, I think when I first started writing for the band, of course, I joined the band and they already had a whole batch of material, you know, I mean, they were, right. they had already written all this stuff. Um, and I came into the band and, you know, within a few months of doing it, Tony, the bass player said, dude, you should write a song. And I, I said, I don't know how to write songs. At that, at that point, I learned how to play a little bit of guitar. Right. And, and I, he said, well, he said, well, bring in some lyrics and I'll write some music for it. So actually the first song that ever got written for the, for the band was Eunuch Boy. The first <laughs> song that I ever wrote for the band was Eunuch Boy. Yeah. Because I, I, I came in with these goofy lyrics, you know, about Eunuch Boy and Tony wrote the words or wrote the music. I mean, so. That's funny that's because I, that I, I totally remember seeing that, like wondering like, oh, who's that guy? Like, you know, because, yeah. you know, this is back in like 96 when I had the CD or whatever and remember seeing like, oh, who's this guy? He's not in the band and he wrote, and that totally makes sense now. So Eunuch Boy is, uh, is an old song that you guys brought back yeah yeah and then i wrote and then i wrote words for another one of tony's musics for m16 right but then i finally got it together to string together some chords of my own and that was hope i mean i came i came in with hope and that started out as just a bunch of chords i strung together that sounded cool together yeah and then i i played those chords for bill and he said oh it sounds hopeful it's the song that inspires hope. And then it's like, well, well now I got to write a song. I've got to write lyrics for it. And, you know, I've tried to kind of go on the basis of that and, you know, wrote it about my girlfriend at the time, um, who was soon to become my ex-girlfriend. Um, that's how it works. So that's, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how I got into doing it. Um, and, you know, I, I can say that songwriting has never come easy for me. Uh, uh, you know, it's like, how, what do you start with first? You know, what comes first? And it's basically whatever, it's whatever works. And, and it's just, you know, there's like they say, there's many, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And so yeah. I just kind of, wait, I wait for something to happen, some kind of inspiration and maybe inspiration in the form of music. It may be an inspiration in the form of lyrics, you know, any old which way, but uh, you know, and the, the thing, and so Bill did the same thing in terms of like, he was a drummer, but he started, he started messing around with this bass guitar. He, he, he went out to his driveway and someone in their, their garage, their trash can had left this, had left like a guitar that they discarded. So he like, Oh, well they're throwing that out. I better go. I'm going to go get this bass. And he started just, you know, plucking away at the bass. And that's how he wrote my edge. And so my edge is him plucking away at this base that he found in, in, in someone else's trash. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's how we both started just, you know, learning guitar. I mean, I, I've been playing guitar ever since, but I've never, I haven't gotten much better basically. <laughs> well, but you've never, I'm just surprised though, if you've written some songs and obviously it doesn't come easy, but just over the years, you'd think you'd string together 10 songs and maybe want to put out some kind of Milo Ackerman solo record. Well, I, I think, what I like to do, and it's because I, I know I realize my limitations. I like to play on ukulele. Um, so if I were to do anything in that regard, it'd probably just be me playing a ukulele and, you know, right. And, and putting out some songs that way. Well, I would, and it would love to hear that. It would definitely be, you know, not descendant sounding. It would sound, right. you know, the least like the descendants you can imagine. <laughs> um, and I tend to, you know, when I tend to write, I'll tend to write songs without thinking about the format. Like, oh, this is, this sounds cool. I'll do this. But then I get to the end of it. And I realize oh, that's not really a descendants song. So I've got a lot of songs like that that just don't fit the descendants format. And maybe I could, you know, pluck away at them on uke and, and put some out like that. Cool. Yeah. I, I would love to hear that. Maybe you can go on tour with uh, Eddie Vedder. Isn't he, isn't he a uke guy too? I don't know. I yeah, maybe. He, I mean, I think he might have done. Yeah. And I, if I'm wrong, I I apologize to the listeners. I I feel like he might have put out a solo ukulele record. But oh, uh, okay. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. I don't know. I know yeah. that this the me first and the gimme gimme's guy. He he uh, he uh, does a side project on uke that he calls uke hunt. Oh, uh, or you know, <laughs> or uke. Well, you know, ukulele. Yes, it's U- ukulele hunt. Yeah. hunt. But, you know, it, he always shortens it just because it's fun that way. <laughs> that is that is funny. Uh, so uh, I want to talk about the whole all thing. And um, it, I know, like, 
you guys always downplayed the back and forth between you and Chad Price and like how you guys were cool with each other. You know, he's the singer of all, you're the singer of Descendants and they're separate things and, and whatever. And, you know, you wore it all, you wore all shirts and in promo photos and everything else. Um, but when you were off, you know, working uh, far away, far removed and, you know, they're getting signed to major labels and they're putting out some, you know, some really good songs. Um, what, what did that feel like for you? Did you feel like you were missing out or were you so nose to the grindstone with research and science that you just kind of didn't care? Well, there was a combination of all of the above. I, I was definitely, part of me was like, you know, I've moved on. I've, I've you know, and it's, at one point my, my scientific career was just so, uh, all encompassing and, and I was just immersed in it and I was loving it really. Right. And, and then during those years I could easily, I could easily just kind of, um, you know, obviously I always enjoyed all and I would always go see them play. But during the years where I was, you know, immersed in the science, I didn't feel that twinge so much because I felt like, you know, I've got my thing. I got my creative outlet or whatever. But then when things were going bad with the science, I definitely had more of an itch to kind of, you know, do more music. Um, and, you know, I, I would always get up on stage with all and do a few songs whenever yeah. they were in town, that kind of thing. Um, so I, it, was, it was one of those, it, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, I had such a tremendous amount of respect for them. Part of the, part of the problem also is, is that while I was doing the science and they were doing all, I watched what they do did and they, they were just getting so incredibly good yeah. that I thought I could, I could never just jump back into this and even keep a pace with what they were doing. I mean, I'm just, I'm still stuck, you know, in my Ramones, <laughs> my Ramones, like, you know, worship of, of, you know, bar chords or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I think I, I probably, part of me was like, yeah, I'll go on stage with them a few times, but I could never do an, like a whole all show full of all songs. I tried one time in New Jersey and it was, it was kind of hit and miss. I yeah. there was, there's some things, there's some things that Chad sings that I just can't sing, you know, and he's just so good. It's um, funny. That's but, my next uh, question. I read, I did read that a long time ago that you, that you did an all that you filled in for all, and I never, yeah. but I never found any, like evidence of that. I just, I just heard someone say we, that you did. So that's so it was in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. What what year was that? Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, that would have been uh, nine. Oh God, because I was subbing in for Chad, so that would have been. Uh, oh. He, 90, 90, 94. Okay. So, okay. So it was before, before you kind of came back. Yeah. 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 I think it was maybe just a year or two before I came back. I can't like, I think, so Chad joined. 93. Chad joined and yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was not long after Chad joined because he, he was, he had gotten a cold or whatever and just couldn't even, you know, croak out a note this and we they were playing at the city garden so that's a that's a that's a club in, in new jersey mm-hmm. i'm gonna say 93 94 in that ballpark and uh and chad couldn't sing and bill said hey we don't want to cancel this show can you just f- fly in so i flew in from wisconsin where i was at the time to to new jersey we just for the one show i was really excited to do it and i think i did okay on some stuff but i definitely kind of Choked on a few. On a well, few, hey, you're uh, coming uh, in cold too, right? I mean, yeah. um, not yeah. just because you're coming yeah. from Wisconsin, but like you know. Uh, yeah. But dude, uh, uh, did did that did that spark something? Like, w- like I mean, time frame wise, it would make sense that you came and you saw the guys again. You went on stage and then you felt this this feeling. And was that did that lead to the everything sucks comeback? It it probably had a, had a, a like a, a decent chunk to do with it. Yeah, yeah. because I got back on stage with them and you know, we're all such good friends. And when I'm in my science world, I kind of, you know, I don't shut anyone out, but I, but I definitely, you know, lose, I, I had lost touch with them, you know, over the years as uh, you know, as our, as I diverged into science and they were, you know, trying to make a go of it. And yeah. like, but every time I get back together, I would be like, Whoa, this just feels so good. You know, it feels good to be on stage. It feels good to hang out with these people. And they're just my friends, you know, Bill's my best friend for life, basically. And so I think you're probably right. I mean, within a few years, I don't know, you know, at that point I might not have been writing 
songs, but probably I started writing some songs soon after that and then talked to Bill in 96, like, hey, yeah, what do you think? You know, And so that was only a few years later. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, though. There, there were some demos that surfaced, uh, I don't know, years ago. I still I think I have them on a hard drive somewhere of Chad singing those Everything Sucks songs. And I always kind of yeah. wondered, like, like if how that happened. If that was, you know, just there was they were working on those as all songs, and then you kind of came back, and then, or if it was kind of they weren't sure if you were coming back. Like, what's the story with behind those? Well, uh, they they were um, they were finishing up with their inter, the Interscope the Interscope uh, you know deal, right. yeah, because uh, they were on Interscope, and they 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 gotten bought out bought out from the contract. To a, to the tune of being of enough money to where they could build a studio in Fort Collins, so they uh, they relocate to Fort Collins with this chunk of money from Interscope and build and use it to build this studio, and that's when they started recording demos for another record. In the meantime, I uh, you know I was talking to Bill like, hey, uh, you know I got these songs, and then he was saying, well, let me talk to Brett from Epitaph and see if see if he'd be interested in doing like basically do its descendants record and do and do an, an all record, like do kind of alternate descendants and all records because we wanted to keep both bands going basically. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we did. I mean, and, but what it meant though, is that, you know, as, as the songs were being developed, Chad was singing the demos on them. Um, and, uh, and so when I came in, I, you know, they were all kind of, they were all demoed by him basically. Yeah. No, um, I, and then I, I had my own songs that I've been in. No, I've just always wanted to ask someone like you or Bill or or Chad about that because uh, I was always yeah. always kind of intrigued and um and it's it is interesting because you know you and Chad have you know sort of similar voices and you're both punk singers but hearing you know you, you sing those songs and then him sing those songs it's like it's like wow it's like really crazy how you can get a just a different feeling you know of essentially because the songs didn't change very much. Some of my favorite ones are the ones that 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 ended up being all songs later that I, or, or, you know, that I sang a version, like we have versions right. of original, original me where I do, where I'm singing original me instead of Chad. And that's, that's Chad. No, that's, I guess that's, that's actually uh Carl's song, but at any rate, Oh, and then another one is a uh, silence. The song silence that Chad wrote where he sings a verse and I sing a verse and yeah. then we come together on the board. Those are fun because it's like, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's just like a, a te- just kind of a, a, a way of, of paying homage to, to his voice, you know, in his songs versus my voice. Um, like we've, we've been doing in the past couple of years, we've occasionally played shows with all, cause all will, will do things where all will play like a reunion show and the descendants will be on there too. And those are some of my favorite ones. It's just, it, it just brings back for me the, 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 the kind of like the feeling of 100% camaraderie that we have going yeah. to, to kind of be, to be in the audience watching all and just being like, yes. And then I jump on stage and we do descendants, you know, or that kind of thing awesome. or vice versa. It's just so much fun. I, you know, I, we played this show down in uh, um, Oklahoma and I was, I was getting kind of, you know, a little misty eyed through the whole thing because it's just <laughs> such a, there's such a long, there's such a long uh, uh, history of not just music, but of just friendship between all of us that is, it's, it's it kind of can, can it gets me choked up a little bit. Oh, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I love that, that yeah. everybody in, you know, in this circle, in this circle is, you know, it's, it does seem like everyone has that feeling. Like it's not just about a band, you know? And so many times, especially when bands get older, it becomes about just about money, you know, I know how much can we make from, from doing this, these shows. And, and, and it seems like with you guys, you generally, do these projects because you believe in the, the history of it? You know, the, the, um, what's yeah. the word? Um, well, for what it is, is it's, it's a combination of, it's a combination of having, having the desire to make music, new music and the desire to, to play it live with this, with this particular crew. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I could make music with anyone else. I mean, really, because there's such a deep feeling of respect for these guys and when you're on stage with them, it's just such a great feeling, you know? And so I, I think, uh, we, you know, when we, you know, it's like that song behind the, beyond the music that Bill wrote, you know, yeah. um, for the last record. It's just, uh, it is, it's like, uh, there's the music, which is obviously so critical 
to what we do, but there's also the friendships that got generated during the making of the music that, uh, that are as equally, if not more important. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful thing. So Everything Sucks was your comeback record in a lot of ways. And uh, it's the first album I ever heard. I had heard a couple songs. Uh, I was 15, I guess, when that record came out. So I, I had heard a couple mm-hmm. songs here and there, but that record came out and blew, blew me away. Um, it still does. I still, it's still a record that I still listen to all the time. Did you know that record was going to have the impact that it did? Well, I think when we were, when I, when we were making it, I was definitely, um, I was thinking, man, there's a lot of good, good songs we got here. I mean, I think we, we've done some, we did records in the past where it was kind of like, well, we've got these 15 or so songs and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put them together and, and that'll be, that'll be the record. And for that record, we had like, you know, 36 or 40 songs. Wow. And and it was just like, you know, you go to the track list and you go, okay, we are going to be able to put together a solid record from this uh, just because of, you know, sheer number of songs. And I, I was just feeling so, um, so excited about it that at that point, you know, I was, I was working in a, in a, a lab as a postdoc. And as we were finishing up the record, I, I told, told Bill, like, let's, I, I feel like we, we can't just let this kind of like, you know, wither on the vine here. We're going to put, the, if we put this record on it, we just kind of go back to our, you know, our existences before. To me, that would be a, kind of a, you know, a real disservice. Travesty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, disservice. So why not, why don't we uh, tour for a while on the record, you know, and back, back then, of course, when you toured, you were touring to promote a record. Now we, now we make a record to, promote a tour basically <laughs> it's kind of flipped yeah but that you know back in the back in the day you toured to, to promote a record and that was uh what I, I decided that i want i was willing to commit to that and so we spent you know 96 slash 97 you know touring pretty damn hard in support in support of that record and that was that was definitely that was definitely based upon how i felt when i finished i just you know, it's just one of these like good good feelings yeah. about how it turned out and you know Obviously, no, it's it's it's, it's crazy. Those guys write such great songs. What's that? Sorry, they they just write such great songs. I mean, they wrote they wrote these great songs for that record. Yeah. I brought in my handful, but they they brought they they had already written these amazing songs. So it was just a good a good feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, hope is number one on Spotify. If uh, if you if you know that or not, number one stream track is uh, hope. Yeah, so that's one of your jo- that's one of your joints. Don't sell yourself. Yeah, short. yeah. I I. I uh, I, uh, I guess, I guess, you know, it's like a beginner's lock. It's one of the first songs I wrote, you know, yeah. but the thing about that one, I guess it's just, uh, we, we did something recently for a sublime, uh, it's a sublime, um, acoustic record where bands, okay. sub- sub- bands are submitting songs of acoustic versions of, of sublime songs. And they contacted me and said, uh, Hey, we know you, you did the song Hope that Sublime covered. Would you do a cover of a cover? You oh, know, that's so cover. cool. That's really yeah. weird. So, yeah. so I, covered, I covered my own song. Uh, <laughs> in, and I did it in a uke format, too, which is oh, really yeah. good. Because like we were talking about me doing uke, yeah. I did this, I did this uh, song in uke format. So I did Hope with, in, on a uke for a Sublime record. So, yeah, I think did it's... That, that, come, that didn't come out yet, did it? They haven't come out yet, no. Oh, cool. But I mean, it's, it, I guess it's a testimony to you know that. And when I, while I was doing, it, I was kind of like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's there's just some there's just some good stuff going on. I can't even describe what stuff that is, but there's some good stuff going on on with the song that allows me to do it. You know, freaking thirty, you know, nine years later, <laughs> whatever yes, it is, right? something crazy like that. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is crazy. But but what's crazy about the Everything Sucks record? You know, no punk band has really, really had ever done that or has done it since, I'd argue. You know, like there's been bands that have come back from a hiatus and, oh, they're back together. And a lot of it is is chasing the money, to be honest. But um, they've put out records and they've never been as good. And you guys not only did it with that record, but Cool To Be used a great record. And the latest record, um, I always forget the name, uh, Hypercapium Hypercapium. Spazinate. Uh, That's a great record, too. 
Um, is it just, is it just, that's just your DNA of, of you get together and magic happens and it decades can go by and it doesn't seem to affect the quality. Well, I, I think we, we each, uh, we each kind of approach, you know, songwriting from, a. I just think a really, uh, you know, like it's gotta be good stuff, you know? And, and I think, uh, you know, for the last few records, like I said, we, we would, we would, we would write like 40 songs and then, then you'd call the best of them, a best of the bunch. I think that helps to, right. to just have lots of songs to select from. And, um, but I think in addition to that, it's just, there's a commitment to wanting to be aggressive and we haven't lost sight of just like really attack, attacking the music. Uh, and when, you know, when, when we're, when we're, you know, writing and when we're recording, that uh, I think it allows us to kind of, uh, you know, be, maybe belie our age a little bit. I mean, we, we just, we like to play aggressive music and that's probably never going to change. And so when, when you hear these, these records, there's no, yeah, there's no resting on laurels. There's like, you know, there's a, a, a ton of just kind of like trying to go balls to the wall whenever possible. Yeah. Um, so it's a kind of, so it's a combination of just, you know, not willing, not being willing to, settle for mediocrity in the, in the songwriting part yeah. and also in, in the, in the playing part, you know? So, you know, and we're, we're trying to write a new record and that's kind of, that's kind of been the thing that we're dealing with right now is, is that, you know, and it's part of the reason why, you know, we, we don't just write it, you know, make a new record every few years. Cause in some cases it, it, you know, it takes longer than that to kind of get to the good stuff, you know, to, to get to the good songs, you know, you might have to, you know, write a bunch of songs before you get to a good one or, yeah. or just, or, or, or in, in, in Bill's case, it's all about the incubation period. He, he actually doesn't write that many songs, but, but the songs that he does write are always killer. And so he's incubating right now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love so, that. you know, I, it's, I think, uh, I, you know, I, we're aware, we are absolutely aware that people could view us as, you know, like, those guys are too old to make, you know, punk rock. And we're just like, fuck you. We're going to show you that we, you know, it's like a, it's like a big chip on our shoulder. Yeah. We want to still, we want to still make a really aggressive punk rock record. And we want to, and we want to still write, you know, killer songs. I, I t- I'll so tell I you, think- man, uh, when, when the, when your latest record came out, I put it on and I just, I smiled like I've never smiled before. Just listening to that record being like, this is exactly the record I wanted. They still have it, you know, after how, how many years was it? Like 10 years at least between, between records. I was like, it just did everything I wanted it to do. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, I wish they put out a record every two years. You know, I want, I wish I had 10 of these albums, but I understand like, you know, that's just, that's just doesn't, isn't how it happens. So, um, thanks no, for answering I mean, my I question. Think, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you can expect the next record before 10 years. I mean, you know, we, you know, so, so, uh, you know, hyper, hyper came out in 2016. We're not going to wait till 2026 to make another record. I'll tell you that much. Good. That's great. Uh, great news. It may, but it may take a, a couple, it may take at least a year or two more. Just like I said, there's an incubation period, uh, that that's kind of, that we're kind of in the midst of. Absolutely. So these days you're just, you know, are you kind of like just staying at home doing the band once in a while? You know, I know you have a family. Uh, what kind of fills your days yep. these days? Do, do you have any any work uh, that you do in like you know anything outside music? Well, last year we tried to, to we tried to tour to at least you know to the extent that I could stay you know busy most of the year. It wasn't it wasn't intense touring, but it was it was enough touring so when I came back from, from like whatever stint I was doing, I would be like, okay, now I, I can take a couple of days of re- uh, recuperation and then get back into my domestic life. Cause my des- domestic life is definitely kind of like takes priority just to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, being, being the dad guy or whatever. Um, and, and so I, so that's, that keeps me busy when I'm not on the road. Now this year is a little different. Cause as I said, we're, we are trying to make a record and uh, Bill has really blacked, blocked out, a, a large part of the year to actually, you know, do, do actually track songs, but also to, to, you know, to write as well. So this year we're not actually doing as much touring. Uh, we're trying to just hunker down and, and, and write songs. Um, I've written uh, probably eight or 10 myself 
Stefan's right. written like, he's written like 20 or whatever. Between Stefan and I, we have like 30 songs written. Um, and so, you know, I would say that this time has been spent very productively, but, but we still need to uh, start getting, you know, songs from Bill and, and Carl. So that's the thing is we all have to write and we all have to contribute. And so that's kind of where this period of gestation is going to take us is, is we're going to get more songs from Bill and Carl absolutely, and then we'll put it all together. But I mean, you know, I, I don't like to extrapolate necessarily, but if, 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 if Stefan and I wrote 30, you know, maybe Carl and Bill write another 30 and we have got a ton of songs to choose from. It probably won't work that way, but, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you get to the point where, I mean, you, you, you don't have to get through the whole song to know that it's not going to be one of the top 12 or 15, right. you know, on the record, yeah, okay, but, so but everyone's different. I, you know? well, yeah. When I've said I've written, you know, 10 or whatever, I know, I already know that some of those are going to be more ukulele songs. <laughs> you know, like I said, the ukulele project or whatever. Yeah. I really want to, I, I really want you to, to fall through with this. And I, I think it's, yeah. it'd be a really cool look for you to do that completely outside of the box but something i think all of us you know fans of you would would really like to hear just what you have to say and you know on that front yeah i mean it's it, it, it's it's something i'm comfortable doing i can play guitar but i can play you know uke's just easier and yeah. so if i'm going to be singing if i'm going to be singing and playing something at the same time probably i, I don't want to go out on the limb i just want to play my uke yeah. <laughs> right on man um so a couple more questions, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, so socially, some of the Descendants lyrics, they haven't aged, you know, super well. Yeah. I mean, that being said, yeah. there was a lot worse things that came out in the 1980s uh, that looking back that are pretty cringy. And you, I know you didn't write all the, the lyrics and everything, but do you feel now any social responsibility to, to kind of take more of a stand on some of the things going on out there, or is that just something that comes with age? Maybe it definitely for me came with age. And you know, we, we've dropped songs from the set just because like, right. yeah, we're not comfortable, you know, doing that. You know, Frank wrote loser yeah. back in 1979 or whatever, or 1980. Yeah. And, uh, and I sang it for many years as a, as a young, as a young adult slash teenager, maybe, maybe emphasis more on the teen part of, of that equation. In other words, not really, um, fully, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, woke or whatever. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and I think at some points, probably in the nineties, even I was, I was like, okay, I need to modify the lyrics. So that's a song where the lyrics did get modified. Oh yeah. And we sang, then we sang it for many years as a modified lyric. And then, more recently, probably in 2014 or whatever, I think there was the, the there was the uh, massacre down at the uh, Florida nightclub, and that triggered something in me that was just like I cannot even I can't even sing the song anymore. I just can't do it, yeah. and mainly because I realized that even even though I wasn't singing, kind of you know, I wasn't singing uh, the words the way they were written. I was ex inserting other things. People in the audience were singing the the original words back to me. So it, 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 I just had to, put the, I just had to put the kibosh in at that point. Um, and it, that, what that, what that actually sparked in the band is like a, just a reappraisal of some of the lyrics and just like, Hey, okay, let's not do pervert either. You know, and I was, I, I, I you know, I wrote that one and I was like, but, but, but you don't understand. Like, it's not creepy. It's not meant to be creepy. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, no, it's creepy. It's creepy, you know, but it's not meant to be that way, but you know, it's, it's, so I just, I kind of was like, okay, we're not going to do pervert. Um, so there's been songs like that. And actually for this hope, this hope, uh, cover of a cover I did sublime. I actually tried to uncreepify those a little bit, you know, and <laughs> my, sure. my, I feel like it's my song and it's my song and I'm, and I want to uncreepify it. That's, I have, that's my prerogative. Absolutely. So, you know, that's it's it's like all I can say is that it's been uncreepified a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Not that it was that creepy to begin with, but whatever. <laughs> so yeah, we've been trying to do that, and yeah. I think in, you know, in, uh, in parallel with that, for us, yeah, in parallel with just kind of being like, whoa, we're uh, we're actually like uh, you know happily married, non misogynistic folk, but we need to kind of we need to you know do what we can to kind of 
you know, not, not just, we don't, we feel like we don't want to play a role anymore of that, that we don't, that we don't fit. And so, in, but in parallel with that has also been just uh, me being a little more kind of angry at the political side of life. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, being, being a little more angry at the injustices that people, you know, deal with, you know, on a daily basis, uh, you know, we, and we wrote that song, uh, who we are from a, yeah. couple, a year and a half ago. And so that's, you know, uh, that's kind of something where I, my feeling about songwriting is that it's whatever is on your chest, whatever you have that you got to get off your chest is, is what it is, what it all boils down to. And for many years it was girls or food or whatever. <laughs> and now I just have a whole different, I have a whole different angst that I have to get off my chest. And so that's, that's reflected in that song and a bunch of other songs that I've written in the same vein. And it's like, it's almost gotten to be the point where it's like, I have to force myself to not write yet another fucking political song. And it's really right. kind of annoying. Um, so, because it's, there's definitely, you can OD on that. And I, you know, I feel like, okay, enough already, but this is, this is the political environment or this is the kind of, environment in america we're dealing with right now where it's just i think this it's like code red code it's 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 just code red right now it it's is. just like it's fucking code it's red like, right now dude 100 percent. yeah it's like i feel like i gotta do what i can do to kind of uh you know make make awareness of this the awareness of just where we are i wrote this or, sorry, i read this book not a few years ago called how democracies die and i'm just like yeah yeah i'm seeing it and you see signs of that all around. And it's just like, okay, I need to, I, I, I have to comment on this. So I've been doing my best to try not to have every song be a political song, but it's been tough because it's, they just kind of spew out from me at this point. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's honest. It's just honest. That's the, that's what we wake up to every day is. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I you, think maybe you, unless again, you close your eyes, you, how can you not, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I, I could write a song about, uh, you know, chili dogs or whatever, but it just, it's not, I mean, it's not what I'm feeling. It's like, yeah, I'm feeling this other thing of that's more kind of, you know, more, uh, existential. That's right. Well, no fat burger. Um, no fat burger was a pretty good one. I like no fat burger. Yeah. That yeah. Was, uh, that was, that was a good one. Um, that's so, true. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I have a, a couple fan questions if you don't mind before I let you go. Yeah. And this actually is kind of interesting because it relates to me a little bit. Um, I actually studied, like I when I was in high school, my favorite teacher was my chemistry teacher because we used to trade punk records. Um, you know, I was giving him like no effects albums and rancid records and he was turning me on to like dead Kennedys and, and stuff like that. And I ended up studying molecular biology um, and genetics. That was the major. And part of it was because of you. Um, oh, cool. And also, I guess, to a lesser extent, Greg Graffin too. And and I, I thought, okay, I'm into, I'm into punk rock. Like for some reason, this goes hand in hand with science. So that's what I went to school for. But the, the question here from Neil Anglin, he asks, um, how important is it to show that someone so influential in a genre like punk rock can turn out to be such a success in the nine to five world? Well, yeah, I think, you know, it, you know, as, as the, as punk evolves and just as people's, perception of what punk is evolves it's i think got a refreshing sense of of you know of of literacy or nerdiness that's right. that's kind of a lot that's been allowed to kind of bloom alongside it i mean initially you know punk rock was vicious and you know these people and and you you you, you got this kind of oafish quality that 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 started punk and I always, I always liked punk for the sheer energy of it. And I, being such a nerd, I, I had plenty of energy to burn. <laughs> and that's kind of where that's kind of where my perspective on punk was really mo just more like, you know, uh, I was a social misfit, and I but I wanted to play fast music, and and I and I didn't necessarily, I I, I didn't necessarily want to stifle my, you know, intellectual. Uh, you know, my intellectual uh, development in the process, you know, being yeah. a punk doesn't mean you have to be, have to stifle that, you know, and, and that's kind of how I've always felt. 
And so I, I, that's why I think it's good that as, as it's evolved, you know, it's made, it's made room for, for the nerds and the not cool people. And in fact, intellectuals can also find a home in punk rock. Um, it's one of the great things about punk rock is that it's, it's so welcoming to just all walks of life, uh, you know, cool or not cool, smart or dumb or whatever, you know? And that's, to me, has been the real joy of, of being involved in it, is that I've always just felt like, it, you know, it's, it's the place for the misfit. But I mean, everyone's, a mis- everyone's a misfit in some way or another, right? And so I just, that's the thing. I anyone mean, can find a home. I know. Anyone can find a home in punk rock, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's, like, thank God we found punk rock. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, yeah. where, where, would, where would you be or I be or so many people listening to this be without finding that? finding yep. that scene in underground music because the people that didn't find it, a lot of them are fucking assholes. They have yeah. the same problems we all, we all have. They're just assholes. And yeah. uh, that's, I mean, I, I don't know if that's offensive to anyone listening to this, but that's how I feel. So, yeah, I mean, I think people who, who say dabble punk rock because it was due. And then a few years later, they're on to whatever, something else. And it's like, it because punk, like anything else, you know, had, had moments of being in the sun and then going underground. Yeah. And of course it still, it still exists and thrives, but it went back underground and where are all those people that were all into it before they're not into it anymore. And it's because they were kind of like, just, you know, they were just shallowly yeah. kind of dab. But I it. do wonder if, if like maybe they took, took something from it at least. Right. And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm kind of okay with somebody saying, yeah. okay, I learned, like I learned, Oh, I used to listen to propaganda. You know, I know what veganism is. That's cool. I take it out with me. You know, like whatever little thing you can grasp onto in this world that's constructive, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Edification. Yes. Definitely. Exactly. Well, one last question. Um, uh, it says you're an interesting position because you have come and gone so much back and forth in music. What biggest change have you seen that blew your mind? And then they say traveling, recording, touring, promoting music. So I guess you can kind of pick one. Well, definitely, you know, the, the kind of, the, the kind of 180 kind of turn on your head notion of, of what it is to be a musician and, and uh, to make a career as a musician. I of course didn't make a career as a musician for many years. And so that was something that, uh, I always looked at as beyond my, uh, you know, either beyond my capabilities or just beyond my, my desires to, to, to make a career in music. And it, it's, it's partly because, you know, music used to be, uh, well, you made a record and then a lot of people bought your record and that's how you kind of made a quote unquote living, right. you know? Um, and now I guess that's the, 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 the most dramatic thing for me is like, you know, and this is not just a, a, like a now thing, but it's been obviously developing over the past you know decade, at least where, you know, you, you basically it's, it's all been flipped over to like, well, you know, make a living touring. Don't try to make a living, making a record. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, make a living, make a living by touring. And that's actually, uh, been really refreshing for me because it's, you know, I think, it's allowed me to say, well, you know, we, you, it, when you, then when you make a record, you just kind of go, I can make whatever the hell record I want to make. We don't have to worry about, you know, is it going to sell? Who cares? Right. Cause it's not going to sell. No, what we do. We can make like, <laughs> a, we can make like a genius record. And it's still not going to sell. So then it just takes all the pressure off that. And you right. just, you just worry more about, you worry more about the touring and how to kind of, to kind of get yourself up to snuff for that. So that's when the, the main thing for me is like, so I, you know, I got laid off in 2016 and my immediate response was to that was, well, now I just want to go on tour. <laughs> and the thing about it is, is because we were, you know, we were all with families and what, no one was saying, yeah, okay, let's go out on tour for 365 days. We wanted, we had, we, there's a certain kind of a, you know, uh, strategy of how what the cadence would be of touring um and i think that's been that's been a new new thing the new development and it's for me it's been a great development because no one i think we we used to tour like dogs and um and it was you know we played a lot of shows a lot of great shows had a lot of fun but also just wore ourselves to the bone 
and now now we can now we tour at a certain pace that's that's uh you know where we still have a ton of fun but we don't have to go home and and yeah. you know my wife doesn't say who who is this guy walking through my door <laughs> like you know, it's crazy. You guys, stranger. You guys so, have done very well with, with merchandise and stuff too. Like I have a Milo Ackerman bobblehead that like the fact that that exists oh, yeah. is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. you know, and, and like, I see people wearing your shirts all the time. Like there must've been a time when like that just spiked, like when all of a sudden it's like, Oh, everyone's wearing, like everyone's buying descendants merch. Like that must've been, that must be fairly lucrative for you guys. Yeah. Well, we, we, we also try to, um, there's been a lot of demand for just having a, like, gig specific sh- uh, shirts. So like you yeah. have a shirt specifically for a show. And the nice thing about that for us is that, is it, um, it allows us to get creative, you know, cause we obviously have our motifs that we, that we, <laughs> that we, uh, sure. fall back on, including the face. And so we have to use, we, 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 we tend to use that face in, in the most creative way possible, yeah. uh, for like for shirts. And that's a big challenge to do that on a day, day in, day out, because you know, each, each, each show is getting a different shirt. So it's a, it's a whole nother kind of creative outlet for us or, you know, creative Avenue to go down is how do we, you know, have this face, uh, this cartoon, yes. do a bunch of goofy stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, and What's... so I, you know, Bill, Bill and I and Chris Sherry, the artist, we were always, you know, brainstorming ideas for that. So what, that's been uh, fun to kind of do that. What's been, like what's been your favorite over the years of the, the Milo cartoons and, and has there ever been one where you're like, yeah, no, that's, that's no, we're not doing that. Well, I think, uh, one of my favorites was when we played, we went to Japan for the first time and, and we decided to do a man, like a manga or like a, it was, it was a Japanese, uh, monster shirt oh, yeah. with, with, with Godzilla on there. And, <laughs> you know, we threw, we threw King Kong. We had King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, you know, and it, and, it was, and it was all the band faces. So that was just, you know, Chris Sherry just took a big, got a, got a good hunk of that, of that concept and, and ran with it. Um, and I had to, dis- I, we wanted the, the lettering to be in Japanese kanji. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lettering. So that was just kind of the whole thing was, was a whole, you know, creative endeavor by Bill and myself and Chris to come up with this, a cool Japanese thing. And then we went over there and it didn't sell that well, but it was still, it, it was still a great <laughs> yeah, they idea. Don't, they don't get the joke, I guess. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. You know, maybe because I used the word otaku in there. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out like, okay, otaku, that's like nerd. Right. But I, later on, I guess someone said, well, not quite, you know, so I didn't translate nerd that well. So I don't know. Otaku's not really nerd, but anyways, yeah, it was fun to do. Anyways. Yeah, we, we tried. Uh, well, Milo, thank you so much for your time. Anything else to tell the people before I let you go? No, just uh, stay tuned for, you know, we'll try to put some music out in the next uh, year or so. Um, but like I said, there's a gestation period. We are committed <laughs> yeah. to putting a new record yeah. out. Um, and I can't say that I'm committed to putting a Uke album out of myself, but it's definitely got me thinking. I don't know. Maybe that'll happen. I would love to hear that. So I hope it happens. Milo, thank you yeah. so much. All right. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Yeah. Take care. So there it is with Milo Ackerman of Descendants. Wow. That was so cool that that happened. I want to thank Milo. I want to thank everybody at Epitaph. I want to thank everybody on his team that made that happen. And I am fucking excited for a new Descendants record. And I'm really excited for potentially a Milo Ackerman solo uke record as well. That is super, super cool. Next week, we will be back with another episode. So please make sure you're subscribed. Hit that subscribe button. And if you do enjoy the show, please tell a friend, tell a loved one. If you know anyone that likes punk rock or underground music or anything that might want to hear me babble on with another lead singer for like an hour, uh, yeah, pass on the word. Also, You can write a review on iTunes, go on there, preferably five stars. It does help us with, you know, I don't know, stuff pops up better if you have more reviews or something. It does something, I don't know. So check all that out, please. It really does help out the show. I will leave you with the tune. So many to choose from, but I'm going to go with probably my favorite and probably the biggest hit the Descendants ever had. Here is I'm the One on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week.
Let's go.